Hello and welcome to the Sky Time podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that promotes Sky and profiles the people that drive the island's economy. It's also a celebration of Sky's vibrant history, culture and environment and aims to gently persuade visitors to spend more time, get off the beaten track and experience more of what our island has to offer. This week's edition of the Skytime podcast is sponsored by Torreveg Distillery on Slate, where an island-style, heavily peated single malt whiskey is being distilled in a beautifully restored farm steading. This time we're in Glen Brittle, where after years of fundraising and collaboration between an array of organisations, the Fairy Pools car park and toilets were officially opened by local MSP Kate Forbes. Last week, uh, I was chatting to some uh, journalists and they were reminding me about the dangers of photo ops. You know, you don't want to be somewhere that will write its own negative headline. So I don't know what it looks like standing in front of some new toilets as a, as a politician. But this for me is feels quite symbolic, I think, of uh, my uh, political career representing Sky. Because one of the first things that was ever raised with me. In fact, I think before I was elected, the one request that the people of Glen Brittle had was sort out the congestion and the challenges um, in this part of the world and make sure and try and turn the success of the tourism industry into an asset for local communities rather than a challenge. And I think over the last few years, what's been seen here is just absolutely exceptional because uh, frustration, perhaps a challenge, hasn't just been turned into an asset and a resource, but it's actually been quite pioneering in terms of the partnership working between the, the Outdoor um, Access Trust and also the local communities. And uh, I just think it's remarkable and it's definitely worth celebrating. I'm Dougie Baird, Chief Executive for the Outdoor Access Trust for Scotland. Dougie, how big a project has this been for you? For us, this has been a particularly large project, but also a different one. We're used to doing very large uh, mountain path projects, or long-distance routes, space sideway, d sideway, this kind of a thing. Um, but when you're kind of dealing with building, effluent, car parking, visitor management, all rolled into one, it's it's a, it's a new scale for us. Um, and it's technical problems to overcome with trying to provide these facilities off-grid and remote locations. Um, so... It's been quite exciting, but also quite um, challenging, you know, trying to work out the best solutions. But it's great to see it open now, and this, this is, it's actually been working since October now, um, touch wood, uh, with, no, with no problems yet. Um, so we're absolutely delighted with it. Um, you know, it's not a small undertaking providing a toilet and storage facility off-grid for up to 200,000 people a year, but I'm really confident we've done that here. Describe what this site was like before the parking and toilet facilities were here. It must have been absolute chaos. Well, yeah, when we got involved, um, the English Community Hall Association approached us. Uh, they'd been wrestling with the problem for years. The road was constantly blocked, um, and the effluent in and around the area was just absolutely desperate. Um, there, there was a, a small strip of forestry road could maybe park 20 cars and um, that would be full and <laughs> it would just park down the side of the road um, so the 
the, the sort of disruption to local community, to business. People couldn't get in and out. People couldn't get deliveries. Um, people couldn't get to the doctors. The police couldn't get in. Uh, just absolute chaos. It was it was a really big problem. And the the, the kind of effluent was another thing. People, once people were here, there weren't any facilities for them, and many of them had had a long drive, and uh, you know they needed to go and. So they went, and you know that's a that's a you know a terrible impact on the site and around it, how it looks, how it smells, and you know the experience that people have of it. So yeah, it looked absolutely desperate when we got involved. And the first the first phase was really to get the cars off the road, and we focused on getting the car park built. We built it in two tiers, and uh, we got the top tier in fairly quickly, and so we're able to bring in seventy people, and so you know that, that immediately began to alleviate the issues. And then the second phase got the bottom tier, brings us up to 140 spaces now, and that's until very recently <laughs> left us with unblocked roads. But we're even beginning to get full up now on on very busy bank holiday days uh, at the moment, and the staff are doing their best to manage that. Um, so that was the phase, and the second phase was to get the loose built, and that's what we've just kind of kind of uh, brought to a, a head in October. Um, we, we were very close to completion for May last year until the COVID lockdown stopped us. Um, we had to start up again um, in, in, in between the lockdowns and get it finished, and we managed. Describe the technical solutions that you had to come up with to provide toilets, as you say, off-grid. But it, it, you've got to take in, into consideration the environment. Your Northwest Highlands, it's wet, temperate, cold. Um, and then the volume of people, you're talking up to 200,000 people a year. So that instantly rules out in temperature compost and toilet, temperature and numbers. Working a compost toilet in, in, in Scotland's a challenge at the best of times, even for a family, but for the number of people, it was just not, not, not possible to get something like that that would work. Septic tank, very likely overflow, and then that would leave it A, shut down, and B, causing pollution to, to a special environment. Um, so we couldn't use that either. Um, there's no mains to put it into, <laughs> so <laughs> that left us with basically putting in our own processing tank, and, that, and that's exactly what we've done. It's it's an expensive way to do things, but but it's it's work that's been up and running since October last year. It's absolutely mobbed every day, and it's just processing away. It's a huge big tank. It looks like a submarine, about 30 metres long, with different chambers, and the the stuff moves from chamber to chamber as it gets processed, and out the end of it comes, I believe, potable water. <laughs> um, Talk to me about the range of organisations that have been involved in this, because it's not just Oats, you've, you've managed the project, but there's a lot of organisations. How hard was it getting everybody working together? Well, I, I think there was a real willingness from everybody to get something done. And the difficulty was trying to find a mechanism that could make that work, something that everybody could rally rally around. Everybody could see that it was a problem. The forestry had owned the site previously, but they owned it for the forest. They don't, they don't own the fairy pools. They don't really have an interest in that, and they really don't need a huge big car park and a huge big public toilet to manage their forest. They really don't need that at all. But, but So they were sympathetic, and they've been very helpful not only in, in facilitating the community asset transfer to the community, and that's that's a real feature of this. This is quite new legislation, and I think it's it's a really productive use of it. So so they've 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 basically transferred the land to the Community Hall Association. They've rented it to us for 
20 years on condition we build a loo and a car park and then we've kind of worked together on that. But the forestry have kept with us, you know, we had problems with ground conditions here and they, they were able to provide rock for it or let us use their rock, I, I would say, which was a, you know, was, was a lifesaver, to be honest with you, at that part of the project, uh, it really was. Highland Council have been involved all the way through and they've contributed financially what they could in very difficult times for local authorities at the moment. Um, HIE also, Islands and Islands Enterprise also uh, provided income uh, and have helped you know, steer us through the project. So there's just been a, a really good partnership all the way through with everybody desperate to kind of make it work. Um, and you know, we've, we've raised the funds through the grants that are available uh, after that through LEADER and then through this pilot project with the Rural Tourism Infrastructure Fund and we've put in quite a bit of money ourselves on various things that cost more than we thought they would. Uh, we've got about 100,000 in so far. Um, but it's, it's, it's worked together because everybody saw that, that it was needed and when we came up with the plan everybody, everybody could see that it was a good plan and it cost a bit more than we maybe wanted it to. But the truth of the matter was that's what's it's what would be required. The worst thing to do would have been to, to spend half the amount of money on building something that didn't work almost as soon as we'd opened it. This is just one problem area or former problem area on Sky. Do you think that there needs to be much more investment in tourism infrastructure projects on Sky? Yeah, I think so. Not just on Sky, I have to say this is a Scotland wide and particularly Highlands wide wide issue. Um and I think it's it's been bubbling away in the background, with, with especially with an area like Skye that's become very attractive for tourism, and particularly for rural sites, for various reasons, social media, movies, etc. You know, but people are wanting to engage and wanting to experience what Skye has to offer, and that's that's a magnificent landscape. You know, it's seas and mountains and skies all adding together to to form form you know a great experience for people. But if people are wanting to re-engage with the countryside and visit it, and they need to have the basic facilities, and that, that is the problem. They aren't, they aren't really there. Uh, most places, most visitor attractions in Scotland that people want to go to their natural sites still have very little or no car parking, nearly always no, no toilet facilities, and they're left with the same problem. Um, you know, if people start to visit in numbers what should be a positive thing very quickly becomes a negative experience. So you get parking problems that impact on local business community and visitor experience. You get problems with waste and lack of toilet that impact on visitor experience and, and, and the habitat. And then the sites themselves get terribly degraded. And, and what we're trying to do is say, well, how can we make this sustainable? And to me, it's just, it's just investment. So we've spent what, 740 odd thousand pounds on the car park and toilets and we've got plans to spend another million pounds on the ferry pools, path, viewpoints, bridges, Korang, path uh, and store and a joint interpretation promotion project uh, and habitat restoration. And that sounds, for, for us, for a conservation organisation like us, that's a big project and that's a lot of money. But if you look at the amount of people that are visiting these sites, 200,000 people, divide 750,000, you know, the, 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 per, the per person rate is actually incredibly cheap. It, if you compare that with somewhere like, um, I don't know, I pick an end of it, particularly, but Dundee V&A or, or Edinburgh Castle or, um, you know, Glasgow Cathedral. You know, these are huge visitor attractions, but you're in that sphere of numbers. And, you know, the, I would suggest that the investment in the countryside sites is much, much smaller than what's required for these, you know, historical building sites, built-up areas. Okay, so I'm Henrik Mitschke, I'm the Project Officer for Minganish Community Hall Association. 
Tell me how pleased you are to finally see this project finished and open. Well, if it was a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 10 for sure. Um, it's fantastic. It's been such a long slog. Uh, and I wasn't even involved from the beginning. So it, it's been a long slog for me, so never mind everybody else that was involved here from the start. But yeah, the, the challenges we've, we've had to overcome, um, but we have overcome them, have been, have been uh, interesting. But uh, we did. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be saying what everybody else is saying, but yeah, COVID didn't help either. Uh, but we're here and, and we, we have a, a fantastic facility, both in terms of parking and now the toilets as well. So. Describe the total cost of the, the project and how you went about raising the funds for it. Okay, well, so the total cost of the project has escalated a bit and it's approached 800,000. Um, so that was split over two phases. The initial phase was the physical construction of the car park. And that was raised through funding from predominantly from Leader, um, and then also Highland Council and Highlands and Islands Enterprise, um, with the contributions from uh, Outdoor Assets Scotland and MCHA. Um, and then the second phase is the physical building of the toilets, and that was uh, initially wholly fo uh, funded by the Rural Tourism Infrastructure Fund. However, as uh, site-specific conditions and, more importantly, visitor numbers changed during that period of, of, of the project starting, um, costs escalated. And to plug that little gap, um, the Outdoor Access Trust of Scotland um, contributed more funds uh, towards the project to make it a reality. And obviously it's a, a revenue stream uh, for Oats, but also for the community, isn't it? That's correct. So, so um, you know, the I suppose taking it back to the start, none of this could have happened without the acquisition of the land asset from uh, the Forestry Commission, what was then the Forestry Commission Scotland, now Forestry and Land Scotland. Um, and that was done through uh, by Mingadish Community Hall Association. And uh, thanks to that, we could uh, arrange a lease with the Outdoor Access Trust for Scotland, and there is a, a payment of the lease on uh, revenue. So there's a, there's, a, there's a percentage on the gross revenue uh, taken. It's about providing excellent facilities for visitors to Sky, but probably more importantly, it's about solving problems for the community. How have the community reacted to uh, this project? The community have been uh, overall very positive. Um, the, as Graham said in his speech over there, uh, the, the purpose of the whole project was to improve the lives of the community in Glen Brittle in particular. People couldn't get to work, people couldn't get deliveries to, to, to the various facilities. So it was all about improving the lives there. So overall it's been a very, very positive uh, feedback and the roadside parking has all but been eliminated from the area. So um, other issues crop up all the time of course but that's such as such as the nature of the beast with with uh, growing tourism but overall very pleased and it's it's providing the service that they had hoped we would provide hey john finlayson a councillor sky and razzie john how significant a day is this in terms of the development of tourism infrastructure on sky i mean i think we all appreciate that tourism tourism infrastructure in sky is a key priority for everyone and i think this shows what can be achieved and I think it sits alongside some of the other projects that we're doing at the Store and at the Kurang and, and across Sky. So this is a very significant day and hopefully it, it shows communities that if they're empowered they can make a real difference. And do you think this partnership model will be replicated at some of the other sites where there are similar infrastructure issues? Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do as part of the Sky and Razi investment plan. I think people need to understand that this is not public agencies giving money. This is about partnership working and supporting each other. And that's certainly our ambition to make sure more of this kind of work continues to happen. And do you think Sky gets its fair share of funding given the, the value that it brings to the economy? And that's the big question. 
uh, I would say that we've got to, we've got to, rather than have that argument, we've got to continue to get the best resource we can. Let's put our energies into getting resources and getting um, um, ambitious projects on the go. And I'm sure that many locals will say we don't get what we, we, we basically put into the coffers at, at centre level. But I believe that uh, that argument is, is long gone and we need to be focusing on driving things forward. Uh, and I say by working together we can probably achieve that. Kate Forbes, Cabinet Secretary for Finance. Kate, how pleased are you to finally see a major tourism infrastructure project come to fruition on Sky? Oh, I'm absolutely delighted. I know how much this means to people who have been campaigning and working hard for many years to improve the infrastructure. And here we have a working car park, working toilets, and all the core infrastructure required to give tourists a good time, but also to minimise the disruption for locals. How pleased are you that this project has come about through collaboration and uh, innovative funding mechanisms as opposed to just coming to government and asking for a pot of cash? I think it always needs to be innovative partnership because ultimately people come to visit because of the culture, the heritage, the scenery. And people live here year in, year out, looking after all of those. So it's got to be done in collaboration with the local community. And through the Outdoor Access Trust for Scotland, we have a new pioneering model that can be exported, hopefully, to other parts of Sky and the Highlands. Do you think, though, that Sky is sufficiently rewarded for what it brings to the Scottish economy in terms of the provision of funding to uh, enable tourists to have a great time here and also to protect this environment? I think there's more that we can do because it's not just about reward, it's about investment in infrastructure so that people come back, that we've got return tourism and also that this industry is supporting people's livelihoods. So I have made sure that over the last few years Sky got a disproportionately high amount of the Rural Tourism Infrastructure Fund that was designed to help communities solve problems and this is just one of the many examples on Sky that have benefited from the Rural Tourism Infrastructure Funding. And that's all for this edition of the Skytime podcast, sponsored by Torreveg Distillery, where the first bottling of the Torreveg Legacy 2017 was released earlier this year. Please get in touch if you have a story for the Skytime podcast or if you'd like to sponsor an episode. Simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. Aikiva! Aikiva!